This is RDQI. Can we sustain our population eating purely organic? This seems like a simple mathematical question, but there's a surprising array of studies on this question which reach very different conclusions. Ryan pitched this question to me because he knew it would set me off, and set me off it did. I spent a fair amount of time working on different organic farms and have spent an even longer amount of time thinking about this problem. I'm by no means an expert, but I know enough to know the questions to ask and the problems we need to solve if we are going to feed an ever-growing population. Are your adult onset night terrors getting in the way of living your best life? Do you constantly wake up in the middle of the night in complete existential dread of the futility of human endeavor? Well, then ask your doctor if Noweksa is right for you. Get the sleep you deserve with Noweksa. Side effects may include sleeplessness, increasing your risk of gambling, taking selfless restrictions. Call your doctor to seek immediate medical care if you experience diarrhea, nausea, excessive dandruff, or itching downtown. So, Dave, can we grow enough food on this earth organically to actually sustain the human population? Oh, boy, that's a that's a great question. Um, so let's define organic really quick. Which is a good point. <laughs> By organic, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, USDA certifies things as organic, but a lot of uh, organic farmers that I know feel that organic doesn't go nearly far enough. And I'm sure some big organic conglomerates, you know, out in California feel like they don't go far or they go way too far. Oh yeah. Um, so I guess for the purpose of this discussion, organics, no pesticides, no herbicides, no sort of chemical, either fertilizers or pest control. Um, and that's really about it, right? Yeah. 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 Which is, not, I mean, it's not a very large part of the U.S. agriculture system. I was looking at some stats. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but it's below 10% of total output is organic in this country at the moment, according well, to the government. Well, I mean, because it's, it's really hard to, yeah, it's really hard to operate economies of scale with an organic production, right? Because so much of the, of the evolution in agriculture technology mm -hmm. is only made possible by by the use of chemical fertilizers and chemical pesticides. Yeah, and, and modifying um, seeds themselves, as well as the increase in mechanized harvesting and other equipment. Well, look at corn production, right? I mean, corn is, is, is I think, the most ubiquitous crop in the U.S. You know, so, so corn production is, so first of all, they have, they, they grow corn in, in a complete monoculture, um, which is really, really rough on the soil. Because what's, a, what's a monoculture, the, the, really quick? Uh, it's a large plot of land where you have only one crop that's grown. Oh, so like Iowa. The state of Iowa is a monoculture. Gotcha. Yeah, a cornfield, which is sort of this, almost this like iconic, idyllic, you know, um, scene in, in most Americans' heads, is actually a very recent invention, and it's only possible because of all this, you know, enhanced technology. So... Corn is a very, very heavy feeder. Um, if you planted corn in your backyard, it would, depending on the health of your soil already, let's say it was very fertile and healthy, it would grow, it would grow really well one year, and then you'd go back to plant corn the next year, and A, it wouldn't grow, it would grow, you know, probably less than 50% as efficiently as it did the year before because there's no food in the soil, there's mm. no um, fertility in the soil, and at the same time, when you grow things in a monoculture, all it takes is, okay, hey, there's a corn boring beetle 
and it finds its way into the field and then it's just going to stay there forever because why would it move? Like all the food <laughs> right. it could ever want is going to be right there. <laughs> so in order to prevent this problem, they so so there's there's two elements, right? The first is every year they pump essentially plant food um you know different different uh elements like nitrogen and phosphorus Mm -hmm. um into the soil they plant genetically modified corn which is modified to um or genetically engineered to grow straighter be stronger and resist herbicide Mm -hmm. um and then they spray um uh this chemical called roundup over the field, yep. which kills every living thing except for this corn, which has been genetically modified to withstand this roundup. So they get around the energy, the feed piece of it. They get around the pest piece of it. Which, really quick, it is kind of as much as like, I'm sure there's a couple of people listening to this who are just boiling at the thought that their food is being processed this way. Um, and I get <laughs> it. Like, that's... There's some legitimacy there for sure, but it is also pretty crazy and pretty cool in a way that humans have figured out, yeah, we can do this. This is how we can produce food. Like I I found a stat that I think since 1948, the average number of farms in the U.S. has not changed. We haven't added a ton of um, agricultural territory, so to speak, but the output of the farming industry has tripled in the same since 1948. So clearly we've gotten really, really good at getting more and more food out of the same amount of land, which is great. Oh yeah. Until we get to the problems, which I'm sure everyone sees coming here, but this costs us something when we treat our soil this way, right? Mm-hmm. Complete degradation of land, soil erosion, um, you know, water supply uh, contamination and the fact that it's very energy intensive, you know, to produce this fertilizer requires a lot of fossil fuel input. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, herbicides are really terrible for, uh, real, again, any other living thing. <laughs> Monocultures are really <laughs> devastating to the ecology of local landscapes because, oh, yeah. you know, it, and we can really dive off the deep end on this, but, but, you know, I, I think it's not too much of an assertion to say, um, you know, it's a, it's a scientific, fact that ecosystems are healthy because of the diversity in them right yes yep 100 percent. and so when you restrict that diversity well you restrict all the other forms of diversity within that ecosystem Mm -hmm. um but it's all about efficiency right and like you said the farms are remain the same but you know where a farm 100 years ago was an acre and it took you know four or five or six a family of six let's say to to maintain and to to grow food on that one acre now we have 1000 acre corn farms with one farmer and a whole bunch of machinery who can you know basically do all of that work because when you grow corn in straight lines you can design machines that can harvest the corn very very quickly mm-hmm. um so there is an efficiency factor but i would argue and there isn't um the the, the debate between you know organic and and conventional is th- obviously there's a lot of it's rooted in a lot of of you know, science and facts, but, but mm-hmm. also there's a lot of experimentation that hasn't been done. And so it's a lot of this is speculation. Mm. Um, 
But I would argue that in terms of output per acre, organic or permaculture type farms or farming methods produce more food per acre than conventional farms. Hey, Dave's on record, everyone. There we go. <laughs> okay. Um, now, there's a lot of different inputs, right? Yeah, it's uh, a totally different you know, way the, to approach the idea of farming entirely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... It ignores the labor, right? Because, like, okay, right. if you... Yeah. You know, yes, I think an organic uh, plot of land could produce more food, but it's going to take a lot more manual labor to get it there. Right. Right. And it's not like being a farmer is exactly an illustrious, sexy job in our culture. <laughs> I mean, any job that your income is being subsidized by the government to some extent just isn't going to be too exciting, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Which, man, that's a whole nother subject that I've been reading about, but I'm not even prepared to talk about is the economy of big ag and how the government plays it. A pretty dynamic role in that relationship, but we are not going to so go there. One of the, uh, I know, but I have to give a shout out to a, a dairy farm in Michigan that I worked on, and I know that uh, they listen to this podcast, and I won't, I won't, All right. I won't say who it is because we're trying to maintain you know anonymity here. But I know you're listening to this on your milk run, so shout out to you. You know who you are. So okay, um, so you have experience working on organic farms or woofing, as some people might say. What, mm -hmm. what's it like actually like spending extended amounts of time on an organic farm and actually working the land? Well, first of all, I, I really honestly believe it should be a required experience for everyone. Um, I have a tremendous interest in food, um, which I think we've pretty well established on, on this podcast so far. Yep. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I really wanted to take that interest, you know, back to the the very basics and and you know where where does food come from? So I was obviously very interested in it, but I think it should be required because we're so we're so disconnected from the reality of of uh, food production um, that I think it I, I I think it's going to be at the very least a um, you know it could be a horrible experience for you. Maybe you just hate being outside and doing physical work. Mm -hmm. But at least you have some knowledge of the work and the effort that goes into um, farming, specifically organic farming, and you get a little bit of a reality check of of you know some of the practices in place for conventional farms, and you know you'd say what you want about the the science behind it. Again, you know there's dubious claims on either side. Uh, but seeing it, seeing a, a field get sprayed, uh, you, uh, you know, you, you don't want to eat that. <laughs> yeah. Right. When you see someone um, wearing hazmat equipment to spray crops that are then later consumed by people, it just, even if all the science is right and there's nothing wrong there, even if that was true, there's just something that about that image that is just so inherently wrong. You know, it seems so, like, how are you treating this organic life form that we consume ourselves as an organic life form to sustain our own life, and yet we're covering it with essentially death chemicals? You know, it just seems like, it just seems wrong. You know, and there's plenty of studies out there that, that show that there's, you know, that all of these things are perfectly safe and not at all harmful to humans. Um, and there's, you know, there's other, other studies that say they are. And, you know, it's, it's really kind of hard to separate fact from fiction. But at the same time, if somebody in a hazmat suit 
serves you your food at a restaurant, how likely are you going to be to eat it? (laughs) Or believe it when they say that this is perfectly safe. Don't worry. And then they run into the decompression or the decontamination. (laughs) Right. They're airlocked. Stand behind a stone wall with binoculars (laughs) 300 feet away. Yep. Right. So it's not a compelling image to see. So being exposed to actually working in in or on. Do you work in a farm? No, you work on a farm, right? (laughs) <laughs> i believe it's on a farm yeah. i actually used to know the definitions of the on in um prepositions but i don't anymore <sighs> anyways fun fun fact i used to know something and now i don't <laughs> um, <laughs> okay so you mentioned a dairy farm in michigan we won't bring them in specifically yeah. you know what's really interesting about their story though before i forget i want to make this point um they are a multi-generational farming family and they've always been conventional dairy farmers and the price for the price paid to the farmers for conventional conventional <laughs> conventional non-organic milk um is is completely unsustainable um mm-hmm. y- you know and it's very it's it's uh, commodity it, i don't know why agriculture products are ever commodities but a lot of them are and you know when the price goes down even when the price is is stable it's not really enough to to sustain farms anymore Mm-mm. um so they pivoted a small amount of their milk production to uh raw milk herd shares which are you know legal in Michigan, but illegal in, in many other states, sure, including sure. California. Mm-hmm. I, sorry, including Illinois. I don't know about California. And, and I mean, the, the profit margin on this was like 10x what they were getting for Jeez. their conventional milk. And they've since like really pivoted to other kind of value add things um, based on their output in their farm, and, and they're really being very successful. So there is a path to, you know, economic viability in farming. Um, but it, you, you know, not, not in a traditional way. You really have to think a lot outside the box to get there. Right. And um, especially if you have generations of knowledge to back you up, that it can make you a little bit more confident to make some moves like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, they've been really successful, but that was, you know, absolutely a risk. And, you know, they, they're very entrepreneurial family. Um, and so they were, you know, comfortable, excited to take the risks and they did it, you know, like they've really kind of built something really incredible and they're still building it, you know, now it's, it's getting better and better, but I mean, uh, not every farmer is going to be a, going to have that tolerance for risk. No, 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 you know? no. Or the, or the kind of entrepreneurial spirit to launch that. Like you, what's raw milk? You know, you've got to, you've got to right. sell that. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. You, know, you got to market. You got to sell. You can't just like get the you know weekly milk guy to come take your commodity milk out. <laughs> That's it. No, and the amount of people who think raw milk, and when they realize what raw milk really is, they think, no, 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 I'm not going to drink that. Yet it's totally fine. And in fact, humans have been doing it for a very long time until Louis Pasteur came around, which was a good thing too that he came around. I'm not, yeah, you know, dishing on his work. He did some pretty cool things, but. Um, pasteurization, obviously, um, from even from like let's say a, a chef perspective, a culinary perspective, really changes the the flavor of milk and therefore any product made of it. Like raw cheeses are just or raw milk cheeses rather, I find stupendous. Now, not everyone's into it, and I totally get that, but 
I think there's a lot of flavor mm. that's available when you don't um, when you don't inhibit the raw material quite as much. Does this dairy farm operate a creamery? No. Gotcha. Okay. No, they're just a they're just a milk operation. Um, uh, but you, they they uh, you know they don't they do other things other than just dairy. You know they 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 have um, you know some traditional crops, poultry, um, other things like that. Okay. Well, that that brings up another good point though about farmers is that doing I just did some very cursory research. Essentially, what I learned is that most farmers don't just farm for a living. Some of them get off farm income as well. Um, which, yeah. So there's data that indicates that I think it's the majority of farmers, like per farm, per unit, if you will, per unit, most of those farms have to get some income from off-farm activities to complete the economic cycle that that family represents, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have in the, the second factor, which is, like we said earlier, since 1948, farms have roughly tripled their actual output as far as what is being produced from the land. And I think that one, if I remember correctly, that stat is specifically tied to vegetable and fruit production, but I can't quite remember in my head anymore. But on top of it, this is the one I thought was crazy. Since 1940, if you you adjust for inflation, the cost of food in this country has dropped by 50% since 1940. (laughs) Can you believe that? Like I honestly, it. I looked at that graph for a couple of minutes, and I checked other locations to be like, "There's no way that this data is correct. Like the cost of food can't be going down." But everyone seems to be saying, "Like yes, the cost of food, once you adjust for inflation, is in fact going down," which makes sense to me why no one wants to be a farmer because a people are paying half as much for what you do, but you have to produce three times as much to get, you know, to be a ball player, so to speak. And on top of it, you still have to go work off of the farm to make money for your family. Like, what in what incentive yeah. is there to be a farmer? Honestly, a lot of times it's you are. I mean, most you know most farms are are still handed down generation after generation, and it kind of locks you in, you know, because. Um, you know, I looked into this a couple of years ago. Um, but you know, buying a, buying a house, like a single family house is really easy to do because, you know, chances are it's going to have a really, it's going to have the same or, or better resale value when you go to turn it around because the demand for single family housing or houses are, are, is huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, nobody wants to buy farms. (laughs) It's really difficult to sell a thousand acre farm. You know, sometimes you get lucky and you sell it as a housing development, but that's, you know, a farm has been in your family for generations and you're going to sell it to a bunch of, you know, for a bunch of cookie cutter homes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're very rarely going to find a young farmer who wants to farm your land. Right. Because like you said, it's not, you know, the career path that, you know, it's almost, a, it's an alt career path and it's, it's, there's like some resurgence, which would be kind of cool to talk about in a different podcast, but you know, there's younger people getting into farming um, you know, sort of this like renewal back to the land sort of, um, you know, movement, but it's, I mean, it's not common, <laughs> you know, right, right. It's not an option given to you, given to most, uh, kids when they, when they are growing up, like, Oh, you could be a farmer. <laughs> right. Right. No. Yeah. I'm trying to think in like kindergarten, how many kids, you know, like let's say there's 30 kids in the class, how many of those 30 kids 
when they say like what they're going to be when they grow up, like draw a little cartoon image of them being a farmer. I mean, it's got to be one on the best day of the year. Like that can't be that high of a priority. Yeah. Which is tricky because <laughs> yeah, culture is so, de- I mean, well, let's just say life is so dependent on food and our cultures are really almost not wholly, but almost completely built around food. I mean, if you think about any cultural or um, tradition that your family holds, I guarantee you 90% of those traditions involve something you consume, you know, whether it's a drink of wine, whether it's some cheese and crackers, whether it's matzo ball soup, I don't know, whatever your tradition is. It's so integral to our lives because A, we need it to survive, so that's pretty obvious. But B, we need it to commune with each other too, or we use it to commune with each other. So it, it just seems like a bad rap when we, as a culture, basically say, ah, farmers, farmers are kind of sad, lonely people. No one should really want to be them. But I'm really upset that my avocado is $2 today. You know, it just seems like, well, I, it seems like a bad mix. I would say most Americans, for most Americans, food starts at a grocery store. Yeah, good point. You know, there's no, you people are mad about avocados costing two dollars. They're mad at you know Kroger. They're they're not mad at the at the you know whatever the reason is that avocados are so expensive. <laughs> good point. Good point. Yep. You know, and organics is like the one thing that's come out uh, in the last you know the one thing that's sort of bucking the the trend of of just pressing prices down. Um, you know, because we finally found a way to actually charge you know a living something that would sustain a living wage with organic uh produce or like specialty produce but you know at the same time could you imagine what would happen if in america today the price of food just doubled <laughs> uh, i don't want to think mean, about i mean i think yeah <laughs> by and large it would be a good thing to be honest but well yeah i mean easy for us to wouldn't say go down with well. our income level yeah um, we're not in food yeah. stamps, you know, we're not relying on supplemental income just to make it buy, which I mean, our country spends tens of billions of dollars a year on helping feed people who can't feed themselves, economically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just seems like a, I guess the the picture I'm pulling together here is this, and let me, let me throw it at you and see if it actually makes any sense. So what I'm seeing is that to be a farmer in the U.S. right now, is one of the most unsexy jobs you could do. It's overwhelmingly run by the elder generation, shall we say. It doesn't really make you much money, really. And yet, if it doesn't advance and develop, we might run into some really serious food shortage issues, at least globally speaking. Uh, In the United States, we might be insulated for a lot of geopolitical reasons, but on the global sense we're going to start running into an area where we can't produce enough food unless we really make some innovations. So when you pair that with the lack of incentive to become a farmer in this country, it doesn't seem like a good dynamic for farming at the moment. I think you're right, but I think there are movements happening that are seeking to really reverse that, that trend. And in doing so prove back to our original question that we can produce enough food organically and sustainably to sustain a population of 9 billion. 
I've had this argument with a number of people and it is easy to, if you don't really, if you don't really think or even know too much about organic or permaculture cultivation, Mm -hmm. it's easy to say that, of course, you know, 9 billion people, you just need to have conventional industrial agriculture. That's the only way we're going to feed this many people. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I get like, I get it. I, that's a very sound, um, you know, if you're just taking other industries and you're applying the, you know, the math and the economics of, of economies of scale and efficiency, totally, I get where you're coming from. Um, I just don't think agriculture can have simple manufacturing style economies of scale applied to it. I think it's, it has to be a different, a different way to think about it. And, and by, by I, I mean me and, uh, and other people who are, you know, part of this sort of permaculture movement. I, there are arguments against it. Certainly this is 100% at this point, at least opinion. Um, mm-hmm. so, so take it as, as that. Sure. Um, but, but what, what permaculture seeks to do is to really create a continuously producing sustainable piece of land that ultimately requires very little work effort to maintain and almost zero input in terms of anything fertilizer soil Mm -hmm. water um and you know i could go on about how this is done and maybe that's maybe that's a different podcast or a different tangent the reality is is that a, a you know a field of corn will produce one crop of corn a year and then it will lay you know fallow the rest of the year because it's you know it's winter and you need to right um corn doesn't grow know, in winter you need to the soil on. and do all this stuff <laughs> but if you create a essentially an ecosystem that's i mean really kind of what permaculture is, is you're creating an edible ecosystem um, it's producing all year long and it's producing so much more than just one crop. Um, Joel Salatin is a, is a very um, uh, outspoken voice in this sort of permaculture movement. Um, and, and he's really has a lot of really great writing on how you can use different crops and animal, um, you know, a- a- animals together to really produce, sure. you know, like a one plus one equals three or four or five situation. Um, he also has some pretty crazy ideas, which I don't agree with, but his farming uh, <laughs> his farming methods are kind of mind-blowing if you're interested in that at all. Sorry, like a really simple illustration would be the three sisters. Could you explain what the three sisters are? Yeah, so the three sisters is a, um, in permaculture what's called a guild, but it's a collection of um, wait, wait, plants or, hold up. or even animals. It's called a guild. Yep. <laughs> Man, I feel like we're playing like wow right now all of a sudden. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> um, but it's, but it's a uh, crops or, or animals that are either, you know, planted together or, or cycled, you know, between the two or three or four, um, that really just produce a lot of mutual benefits and synergies between all of the agricultural products that you're, you're you know, are going into that equation. So mm-hmm. what a three sisters garden is, is it's a mound with, you know, four or five stalks of corn and then, uh, pole beans are planted around the corn. So the pole beans will actually wrap around the stalk and the stalk 
then serves as a support for the pole beans. Um, and at the same time, the beans fix nitrogen to the soil. So corn's a heavy nitrogen feeder. Legumes are a nitrogen producer. So we can kind of like perpetually grow three sisters gardens. And then around those mounds, the, the corn bean mounds, you plant squash, um, which sort of are, you know, vine and have giant leaves. So it sort of acts as ground cover and weed control. Mm -hmm. um, and also moisture retention and heat retention and all this stuff. So these three plants kind of all help each other grow better than they would have otherwise. And you can kind of continuously do them because of the um, because the plants sort of feed each other instead of just completely denature the soil. Right, right. Okay. And plus, man, squash, corn, and beans are delicious. Yeah. And you can, I mean, think about the real estate, right? If you're planting just the corn, that's all in that space, that's all you can grow there. But if you wrap beans around it, that's, that is double the output of that same amount of space or real estate in a field. In terms of you know, agricultural so, output, sure, but how much work needs to go in from human perspective to actually yield that harvest? Because here's where I see the mechanization being tricky, right? Because like I've never harvested pole beans, but I'm not sure that there is a mechanical way to harvest pole oh. beans in a three sisters garden. You know what I mean? Well, right, and I and I think it's it's pretty safe to say that the you know the downside to the permaculture equation or the organic farming equation is it just requires more labor output because you can't automate harvesting for an ecosystem. And an ecosystem is by definition sort of ebbs and flows and, and sort of changes naturally, right? Um, you know, because it's nature just being nature. Yeah, uh, but Which it's is really hard to prepare for that and create a machine that will always work. <laughs> mm, right. And that's why I'm saying like, it seems like a really bad dynamic right now. There's, there's, <laughs> as far as I can tell, there's no incentive to be a farmer besides some like intrinsically altruistic sense that you're going to change the world by becoming a farmer. Like that's going to be a very small subset of the population that answers that call. Right. And yet maybe the mm -hmm. best answer for our situation is to have more farmers. So it just seems like... <laughs> That we're pushing the door that says pull. You know what I mean? It just seems like a it's, a, it's a bad jam. It's just not coming together. No. No, and this is, I mean, my belief here um, doesn't, doesn't generally line up. You know, there, there's, some, there's some drawbacks and some holes in this belief. But, you know, I think agriculture has to be sort of removed from the economic equation to a certain extent because I think, in order to, to really produce sustainable, um, you know, healthy food, we just need to devote more labor. And by labor, I don't mean machines. Maybe, you know, hopefully with automation and, and AI and things like that, maybe we could, we could help. But I just think we need to d devote more labor to agriculture. Um, and, and I also, you know, I, I tend to agree with the idea of like, agriculture as a as a or farming as a um as a as healthcare. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I have never ever been healthier in my life than when I was working on farms. Oh, I see what you mean. I never. gotcha. Okay. Well sure. You know, it's physical labor, you're you're outside. Um but I mean it's just it's just such a beautiful, idyllic place to be. You're doing physical labor, which is um 
you know, it is, it's, it's rewarding. It's rewarding to kind of do something and turn around and look and then see that accomplishment. And you're, you're there on the land. You're, you're every time, every meal that you have, you've seen exactly where that's come from. Um, you know, I remember the first time that, uh, um, so I have always been uh, a meat eater. You have too. Um, Mm-hmm. But I also firmly believe that you know, to you should constantly test your arguments and you should constantly um, you know challenge beliefs in in others and in yourself. Um, and you, things are going to change. Opinions, beliefs that you have are going to change um, sometimes. And I remember a a vegan friend at one point saying, you know, you have never actually had to kill an animal for the food that you consume. That part is done for you. And the, and the stereotype of, you know, you go to buy chicken at a grocery store, it comes, you know, saran wrapped and it's a boneless, skinless chicken breast. It bears zero resemblance. Like you, ju- you, you don't even know. I would say a lot of people wouldn't even be able to appoint to where a breast is on the chicken. <laughs> right or the tender you know chicken tenders like what part of the muscle is is that on a chicken like you have no idea right oh yeah, yeah. um and it's i'm not it, no judgment i mean we we just aren't as i would i didn't until i started working on farms um but uh we're, we're just so removed from it and when this person said that to me i thought you know what i mean you're right like i, I there there are there are a lot of um you know kind of studies that when when meat production is done in conjunction with, you know, in a permaculture type setup, it's incredibly healthier for the environment and the soil. Um, it just like objectively is because it's, you're, you know, you can, you can only get to a zero input farm, um, when you have animals in the mix. It's it just, it, right, know, right, right. Yep. It, it, that's, you need those feces, the reality, man. right. It's, it's compost. Yeah. It's grazing, it's or you know con- uh, weed control, but um, but that was okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. You know, if I had to kill my own animals for dinner, would I still eat meat? Um, so when I worked on on a farm, um, I uh, this is actually in Wyoming. I, I expressed that to the farmer, and she said, "Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you, one hundred percent." So. The next day, we caught 50 chickens, and she made me kill all of them, every single one. I'm like, oh, I just wanted to kill, like, I, you know, I wanted to eat one. Like, okay, this is out of control. <laughs> right. uh, so it really threw me in the deep end there. But, I, you know, I, again, like, by, we are killing and, and um, you know, defeathering. Processing these animals. Processing for, them. Right. And mm-hmm. then, you know, they would obviously, like, they would sell them, right? So they're going, just like slaughter. Which, man, defeathering, defeathering is... I do not enjoy it at all. Anyways, keep they going. actually have a very ingenious machine that does it in like half, maybe ten seconds. <laughs> um, <laughs> I appreciate that machine very much. So yeah, it's yeah, it's a manual machine too. They've had it for hundreds of years. Um, for farmers are the most ingenious people you'll ever meet. Yeah, you would have to be. I mean, you just because at the end of the day, you just have to get it done. So you just have to figure out a way to execute what you need to do. I met a farmer once who whose car like car completely broke down and he like has no auto repair skills whatsoever and he fixed his car because he just took it apart and he's like, Well, okay, this does this and this does this, so if I do this, it'll work. <laughs> 
So so anyways, so you you euthanize these 50 chickens, let's say, generously. Yep. Um and you're involved in the processing. What would I mean, did you eat one of the chickens later? I did. Cuz again, you know, it's um and uh and I still eat meat today. I I didn't stop eating meat. Um but I 100% have a very very different view on it and a much deeper respect for meat. Um, mm, mm-hmm. Because, you know, the reality that I really don't think many of us viscerally understand is that you are, you are killing an animal for food. And you can make the argument that you're killing plants. If you're a veg, you know, if you're a vegan, you're killing plants too. I and mean, that's a living organism and you're ripping it out of the ground. But you know, there's something, there's something just inherently. It's different. a lot easier. Well, it animals have faces, so they're gonna. We're gonna think we're closer to them than plants would be. So, yeah, right. That's your first step. Um, but they're necessary. I mean, I, you know, I one of the the fundamental realities of life, no matter how you slice it, is that in order to sustain life, you have to take it in some form, whether it's plant, whether it's animal. Um. And I, I just, I, I kind of, uh, you know, the, again, this is an argument that could be made both ways, but it's, it's my opinion that generally speaking, it's not a hundred percent necessary. Um, you can, you can, obviously there are plenty of vegans and vegetarians in the world who are living just fine. There's an entire country with billions of people who half of whom are vegetarian. Um, it's just much more difficult to do in a healthy way. You can really hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. And vegan, I mean, that, that whole thing is like, that's the processed food industry is like, you know, like you can't, you can't live a vegan lifestyle without a lot of test tubes and chemicals. Healthy. Right, right. It's just a which, simple, that's a fact. <laughs> which isn't to say it's not a good pursuit though. I mean, because yeah. we might end up in a world, Dave, where we all need to eat vegan because animal production is too expensive you know, economically as well as ecologically. This is true. So we have the land. We have, you know, intensive, you know, we have enough farming know-how to be able to produce all the food that we need, um, actually with much less energy production, but we would, we would just need far more labor than we have today. Um, and so while it might technically be possible, it, it might not be logistically possible because, you know, those 30, right. 30% of people are doing, engaged in other activities that they would have to stop. You know, you know, just, uh, it's not something we could ever pivot and do, right? Um, but, no. No. you don't flip a switch <laughs> and make that change happen. Yeah. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of data that kind of shows that, uh, you know, given our current trajectory with the way that we farm, we're causing a lot of environmental harm. Um, is there any is there any halfway point? I mean, I don't think we're ever on the one hand conventional is not sustainable indefinitely. On the other hand, permaculture and the labor intensive methods kind of seem like a pipe dream just given what humanity values. Is there a middle ground somewhere? 